Welcome to the Sacred Life. This program is an exploration of the deep truths of Christianity, the aims of the Christian life, and the Church's need for both tradition and transformation. Brothers David Baylor and John Baylor, that's me, approach these questions from an Anabaptist perspective, but our goal is broad. It is to wrestle with God, and our audience is anyone who wants to see the match. Today we discuss religious belief, and we make the claim, you don't believe what you think you believe. Understanding your own beliefs comes through questioning and challenging the ideas that you hold. We argue that intolerance and suppression come from false beliefs, falsely held beliefs, from shallow and fragile ideologies, and not from genuine belief, and that challenging your own beliefs is a form of death to self and resurrection into the spirit of truth. Welcome to the Sacred Life. You don't believe what you think you believe. That's the issue, that's kind of the question that we're exploring today, and it also is going to be very helpful, I think, in just explaining what this podcast is all about, what are our goals in this program. Um, so I want to just turn it over to you, David. Um, why why this idea, or what does this mean to you? You don't believe what you think you believe. Um, well, like, so first of all, I'd say personally, um, like I would call it the single most important and transformative sort of revelation that I've ever had like you could describe it as like if you're going to use like the typical Christian language as something like a salvation experience even though like going with that like sort of typical Protestant language it's not what I would say is my salvation experience um, yeah, as in this, like, this realizing that you don't believe what you think believe is that's not the thing that, that saves you. Right. But uh, but you're saying it's it's a it's a transformation that's almost on right. that level. Right. Like I'm characterizing my revelation of that fact about like the way I encounter the world and reality as being as transformative to my way of looking at things in my character as this idea of salvation, which also ties to it directly. Um, I think the two are very closely related. Okay, so you don't believe what you think you believe. Um, what does that mean? Um, I guess you could partially describe it as like there's a disconnect between your rational process and I guess you would say like your experiential process, your uh, you could say your soul, mm-hmm. which would be how like how the ancients would. Just, would describe it okay so i mean you see that sort of thing all the time actually the the example that comes to mind is is sort of an unusual one but uh um the road not taken by robert frost which is um everybody thinks well it, it kind of wraps up with this sounding sounding like it's about take the road less traveled but really it's about somebody who made a decision and he didn't know why he made the decision and after the fact he has a reason <laughs> Um, after the fact, he says, I took the road less traveled, but in the meantime, um, like when he's making the decision, he doesn't know one thing or another. Like we, we make decisions, we don't know why we make those decisions, but we can look at it and come up with a rational explanation. But the rational explanation isn't why we made the decision. It's a right. way of it's a way of understanding in part why we made the decision. Right. Um, um, I don't know. I mean, like, you, you get in a fight and you, you yell at somebody that you care about. Um, you, you actually can't really explain rationally why you did it. Yeah. But, I mean, you can, you can try and you will try to understand rationally, but there's probably something you're missing and you've got to do, like, some serious soul-searching before you're really going to figure out um, 
why. So I mean, that's just a, a simple example. In the moment, I, I did something and I did not know why I did it. Right. Um, that's a little different than, than you don't believe what you want to believe, but I, I think it's it related. It gets at the same kind of idea. So this sort of relates, like I wouldn't say I got it from here, but it's sort of the same idea, I think, that you have, like when somebody like Jordan Peterson says, he has this thing he says, when asked if he believes in God, that his, his response to that at times has been something along the lines of, who would dare to say that he believes in God? Because if you actually did believe in God, what are the implications for your life? Like, that's that's the kind of thing, the belief in God is something that has serious implications on how you handle the world and how you experience, how you view things. Mm -hmm. And, like, he, he's using that to make this point that uh, most people think they believe in God, but in reality they don't. Okay, and, and uh, belief in heaven would be another thing that like you can you can insist on right um and i don't want to say that somebody somebody I, i'm not going to accuse somebody of not believing in heaven but i will say it's something that um if you're uncertain of whether there is heaven or not like you still insist right that it is true um and not, you, you you insist it to other people because you're like well i don't want people to know that i'm doubtful um, that I'm not a person of good faith. Well, not but, only but not that, only but do you lie, to, want... but not only do you see, deceive other people, you deceive yourself too. Yeah, like which is what I was going to say. Like, not only do you not want other people to know that you're doubtful, you don't want you to know that you're doubtful. Mm -hmm. So, like, you do everything you can to silence that doubt, which doesn't actually do any good, anything to alleviate it. Um. So, like, you sort of have to get into like if you're going to go this direction with that idea, you have to get into this kind of how do you define the word belief, which is, I think, like the, the trouble somebody like Jordan Peterson runs into. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm using this sort of philosophical idea of the idea of belief, mm -hmm. which really isn't generally what you're using, what you're meaning when you're using the word believe. Right. Um, so it's this, to me, like, I don't like that well, way of framing it because it's, like, it's it's kind of like a... A conversation that most people aren't interested in. Yeah, well, um, the idea of belief is obviously an important idea. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Like, right. I mean, this this issue of belief is pivotal, um, and and I think I think that when we talk about belief, uh, we're not, for the most part, we're not talking about what the new testament means when it's talking about belief mm -hmm. so so the question of what does a person believe and what does it mean to believe something is an important question when i say that i don't think that we are getting it um what i mean is when we say we believe something then um we're saying i i insist to myself um that this thing is true Right. But but we're also saying now and and uh, you know I on that note before I even add anything else to it we insist that it's true and that's what it means to believe something we insist to ourselves um, I uh, 
Um, I, I moved recently. I'm, I'm like, I've gone to a few different churches to try to find like where do I, I want to go with my wife and my kids. And one place we went, the, the, the pastor was talking about believe. That was like, you know, the topic for the day. And the whole presentation of it just seemed like it turned belief or faith into a work. If you work really hard at this, then you will succeed and you will believe. Right. Uh, you will believe in Christ and in God and in all the things that the Bible is saying. Um, and, I mean, for one, it, it made it seem like, like okay, that's a, that's a type of work. I use that word deliberately. So this is like a works-based salvation. Like you're going to force yourself to believe in something. It's not easy, but if you try really hard, you, you will succeed. Right, right. Which, like, the way I would look at that kind of idea is actually to flip it around and say, like, you're disciplining yourself against unbelief or against disbelief. So, like, it's still a work. Mm -hmm. It's a negative work. Like, you're you're fighting against something. Yeah. And, like, it fascinates me because you look at the Scripture, you look at the writing of the Church Fathers or of ancient people, it's like, they're doing the opposite thing. Like, instead of fighting against unbelief, they're diving into it. Yeah. So, like, when... So, like, a good example is just the idea of ecumenical councils. This would be, like, a church-wide version of that thing. Mm -hmm. When the church encounters a heresy or, a, like, a dispute or a misunderstanding on some issue, they don't just sequester themselves off in their own corners and, like, not deal with the issue. They come together, both sides of the discussion, and hash it out. Right. You know, there's something else in that, that those were, those were once open questions. This, you know, some heretical idea comes up, but it, I mean, it's not, it's not exactly heresy at the time. People don't know what to make of it. Um, and so it's an open question. What's going on with this? What do we believe in? What should the church believe? And then we get to the point today where those are, are not open questions anymore, which makes sense from a historical standpoint. Like, hey, the church dealt with this issue like 1,800 years ago or what, you know, whatever, depending on the issue. Uh, the church dealt with this issue a long, long time ago, and it's not an open issue anymore. Right. Um, and what it means if it's not an open issue is like you're, you're, not, you're not allowed to like explore your uncertainty in that area. Right. So if you have something that you're not sure about, then you look at it and you say, oh, I have, to, I have to just ignore the fact that I'm uncertain about this because I'm not allowed to be uncertain about it. And, and if you do that, you haven't resolved the uncertainty at all. So what you're doing is you're telling yourself, I'm supposed to believe this, therefore I believe this. I'm not supposed to believe that uncertain thing over there, so therefore I don't believe it. You're telling yourself that, but, um, but you're lying to yourself by doing that you're 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 tricking yourself into thinking that you believe something that you don't so i mean i'm i'm all about like open questions um and in this sense um i had a a, a catholic friend who was uh kind of upset at me saying like um it is it's important to tear down your theology right that's that's an important part of of growth that's an important part of being christian it's like just let those walls fall down let that big fortress fall down, and then, um, you know, it will, it will, uh, 
Christ will build it again. Yeah, and like kind of the way I look at that, and I presented this to a number of people this way, is you shouldn't be afraid of doubt. And you shouldn't be afraid of the difficult questions. Like, we naturally are. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just because, like, we're naturally afraid of the unknown. And we're also, like... Well, I mean, it's, well, it's scary. I mean, like, yeah. I wouldn't say you shouldn't... I mean, maybe maybe that's appropriate. Because it's like, I, I do not be afraid. It's like, you're not going to find... I, I think that's the most common phrase in the Bible. Right. Um, but, but at the same time... Um, and that's like... Not just do not be afraid of things in general, but like do not be afraid of of the mysteries, like mm -hmm. um, the the uh, uh, God and angels, like coming into your ordinary life. That's when you hear this message of do not be afraid. It's like the things that you that you do not understand at all. Don't be afraid of those things. Um, but at the same time, like I mean, it it is scary. Um, yeah. If you if you explore something that um, that might destroy your faith and it has destroyed the faith of other people. Um, I mean, I say like, you, go, go ahead and be a little scared of that. Well, right. Um, like, I don't mean, but, but don't, don't cower from it. I mean, right. be, be brave in the face of your fears. Well, like you still do need to approach it with caution. Like you said, it has destroyed the faith of other people. Well, but like, you're, you're so ultimately like, you're on the side of the truth. Like, um, whatever, whatever yeah. you encounter, um, if you're, if you're pursuing the truth, then, I, I mean, like, this is sort of the risk of the game, but, like, if you're pursuing the truth, like, if the truth destroys your faith, um, I mean, I don't know that you're in a worse position um, than you were before. Uh, you've got a lot of, <laughs> you got a lot of work to do, like, uh, you've, you've... Well, so there's something important Jesus says to Peter at his transfiguration. Um, so first of all, Jesus asks his disciples who he is. And first they answer by saying, this is who everybody says you are. And he says, like, I don't care what everybody else is saying. Who do you think that I am? Mm -hmm. and yeah, so, right, so, right. So, well, like, oh, that's, that's extremely important. No, it's, I mean, it, it is exactly yeah. this issue of you don't believe what you think you believe. Right. And, and he's trying to defer. Yeah, and, like, that's his point he's making is, like, I don't care what you've been told. Mm -hmm. And, like, you shouldn't either. So, like, forget about what these people right. are saying. Who do you think that I am? Mm -hmm. And then Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And his answer to that is also extremely important. He says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Mm-hmm. And then he also says, like, you're Peter, and you're this rock that I'm going to build my church on, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like, this yeah. relates to what you're saying. Like, this idea of, like, facing the unknown is, like, facing the gates of hell. That's exactly what it is. It's, right. That's the symbol there. And, like, he's saying, like, this, this revelation that I am Christ, the Son of the living God... The gates of hell cannot prevail against this. This thing that flesh and blood, but the light of God. Like flesh of blood has not revealed to you, but the light of God has. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the foundation of the church. Right. But it's like, well, what's the future of the church going to be? Can the future of the church be built on people who, who are just saying what other people said about God? Um, I, I say no. <laughs> um, the, the future right. of the church has to be built on people who can say for themselves, yeah. you are the Christ the Son of God. And so, like, this goes back to this idea. You don't believe what you think you believe. 
which is like the most terrifying thing that anybody can ever tell you and the most dangerous thing that anybody can ever tell you it might destroy you mm -hmm. it actually will destroy you but it's like if you're if you're if your sinner is in Christ you will be you will be built back up mm -hmm. so like for myself like what i would say the moment like not only not only hearing those words and like putting that thought together but actually understanding it like there is that moment where my entire belief system just instantly collapsed and disintegrated but in that same moment it was instantly put back together mm -hmm. so it's like i come out of that actually believing the things I thought I believed. Yeah, right. Like, which is the remarkable thing about it. It's mm -hmm. like, the things that you've, like, this isn't a statement that the things that you've been taught are wrong. It's just that you don't actually believe them. Right. Well, and also, I mean, we were talking about baptism last time, which is this um, death and transformation, um, which which we said is this continual process. Yeah, you have this this one-time act of baptism. You don't, you don't, you know get baptized every sunday but you're still going through this continual right. process of of putting the old man to death um and continually being resurrected with christ well yeah and like this revelation that like i don't believe the things that i think i believe like along with that is like the total death of self yeah right that's because why i brought sinner, up baptism yeah. again because it's like um well, you you say like you wind up actually what what comes what what you come back into is like the things that you kind of thought you believed before, but now you believe them. I mean, you don't know um, when you, if you go through transformation, if you if you let that like that um, that old castle or whatever, if you let that that whole system of your beliefs and your theology, if you let that fall down, um, you don't know. You don't know if that's going to be raised again. Yeah. You don't know if, if uh, some of it will be burned off forever and will not be a part of your belief anymore. Um, maybe it will be. Maybe maybe some things that are very valuable to you will will wind up not standing the test. Right. Yeah. Like that's part of that part of that series of revelations leading up to that ultimate question. Like, do I believe the things I think I believe? Is is also comes out with, with the question like, are these things in my tradition? wrong mm -hmm. right. how do i know if they're right or not yeah and like realizing that that's a really important question because why would i want to hold on to something that's not true yeah and that leads me down this thought process of why would i want to le believe something that's not true what if there is something i believe that's not true like and how do i know whether or not it's true and then like the next step from that is like what if it turns out I don't actually even believe it in the first place? Mm -hmm. And how I would describe like the way the way you look at that question is look at the way you interact with reality, um, like the people around you, the events around you, the spirits around you. However you want to phrase that, however you want to look at it, because they're all true simultaneously. Um, that's why I say how you interact with reality. Mm -hmm. I phrase it that way intentionally and carefully. Um, like, but like really look closely at that and ask yourself the question, you know, if I actually believed in this story, in this myth, you could say, like not using myth in like a negative sense of, of Jesus and of salvation and of this transformation and of this death of the self, what I be doing these things 
or what would I be doing if I actually believed these things? Mm -hmm. And like really taking a close look at that and wrestling with those questions, and you start to realize that like, no, actually, I don't believe these things. I, I tell myself I do, but my actions and my responses and my thoughts start to reveal to me that I don't. I'm, I'm going to step away from the question for just a little bit, just to, to simplify, just in case um, there's anyone that's not certain of what we mean. I want to come up with some, some other examples that aren't religious examples. Where do people say they believe one thing, but they don't believe it? Um, one, one example would just be politics. Um, I, again, just to refer to Jordan Peterson, he uses this term ideological possession, which is this Jungian idea. But we see people who are like so swept away with a belief system and with a political agenda, and they've just adopted like all the positions that they are supposed to hold. And um, they, they, they aren't um, sincere. It's like, like these beliefs don't touch who they are as a person in any way. But they're just, they've kind of like, they've joined the club. So they're supposed to believe this thing. And then they get uh, extremely hostile to people who, who aren't on the same page as them. Uh, I think like people who, <laughs> in a way, like people who, who actually believe something, I, I don't think they, they're hostile about it in that same way. Yeah. Oh, no, like, no, they're not. Like, meet somebody. Like, actually go out and try to find somebody that believes something. And they'll probably be the most humble person you've ever met. Mm -hmm. Well, it's... Um, well, so, like... Uh, there's not something something personal. I mean, like, if... if uh, I mean, we're walking through the woods right now, and I say, like, this is a tree, and somebody else says that's not a tree, then to me it's like, okay, whatever, dude, that is a tree. Right. I mean, maybe I get a little bit annoyed that somebody would insist that it's not a tree, but, like, there's no question, like, it... My my identity isn't shaken by the fact that somebody doesn't believe that's a tree, right? Um, because because I I have like this perfect faith in it. Well, yeah, and it's like if I don't believe if I if I don't actually believe something, then I can't bear to have it challenged, because that starts to shake like the very foundation of my existence. Like basically, no matter what it is you're talking about, like even down to the littlest, like asinine thing mm -hmm. if somebody like somebody challenges it and it shakes apart your whole reality it's like going back to this idea we've talked about before you know i think i think part of it is also uh, i i since i use that phrase perfect faith when i was talking about a tree um i don't i don't mean to suggest like you go through this process and then then you will have uh perfect faith in in all the absolute truth of god and the scriptures and all of that, um, in in my in my like faith walk, it means more like if someone is going to come along and challenge these things, then I will be understanding because I recognize um, these are open questions. Right. And also, so it's like if you, if you go into a more difficult question, other than like if this is a tree, or this is not a tree, it's a balloon. Something stupid like that, and like to something that's less obvious, then like part of the approach is like the, the continuing, like you said, it's an open question. Like, well, what if I don't actually understand it? So, like, let's talk about it. Let me hear what you have to say. 
Um, like it's not going to shake apart my whole foundation because I've changed what my whole foundation is. My foundation isn't built out of these little pebbles. Like it's 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 this solid cornerstone of truth, and it's like your outlook is I'm going to present what I believe, mm -hmm. and you're going to present what you believe, and we're going to look at it, and we're both going to be better for it because we're both moving closer to truth. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, when I say open question, I'm not dismissive of, of the idea of truth at all. Yeah. Um, no, like, I, I'm, that's, I'm, that's kind of what I'm trying I'm to say. I'm challenging is... instead um, the ways that we clutch onto something that we think is true. Clutching, um, clutching is, um, it's, it's not the, the attitude that is actually open to truth. Yeah. So, so it's like what we're saying might at first sound like this, this, I guess I would characterize it as like this Buddhist idea that there's no truth. There's no absolute truth. It's also this idea that like underlies postmodernism, especially. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no, there's no absolute truth. So it's like what we're saying might sound at first like we're saying that. It's like no, I, actually that's what I was trying. The point I was trying to make is it's actually the opposite of what we're saying. Yeah, right. But but yeah, it, it also is this um, this perspective that. I mean, you, you can, let's say if, if you grow up in a world of, of um, I'll just use the term fundamentalist in, in implying the worst possible connotations of the word. Um, you, you have a bunch of people who are clutching onto something that's true and they're insisting that it's true and um, they don't even believe it. They're just supposed to insist that it's true and so they do. Um, if you're in that environment, then um, it, it would make sense to say, um, truth is unknowable or, or there is no such thing as truth. I mean, like it makes sense to react against that because, because there is something wrong with that, that clutching on to something that yeah. you hold is true. Um, so like, I'm going to step back into like the religious world here and target this next part at Christians, especially how like an example, I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble with this specific example. Like to me, like the most obvious example is creationism mm -hmm. like as a as like a glaring example of you don't believe what you think you believe and like in my own personal experience having formerly been a staunch creationist like until now and observing the language people use and the way they approach this debate like to me it's obvious like you don't actually believe this and the whole problem is you're grappling with these difficult questions of what does the Bible actually mean and you're asserting what is essentially a militant response that's designed to silence doubt mm -hmm. and to criticize it and to demean it and like it's something that I can understand why it seems like a good idea yeah so it's like this this idea of in Christian fundamentalism like, you've got to have these fundamentals in your faith. If you don't have them, there's nothing to stand on and everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. And you can't learn anything from the Bible. You can't say it's true, which is actually a true statement. But it just doesn't mean what they're using it to mean. Yeah. Um, now, the, the, the creationism thing is interesting because, um, because it's like it, it puts itself in opposition to science. 
but but science um, like religion you have dogmatists in science and you have mystics right um, the, like the mystics are the people who who hold the truths of science to be open questions and those are the people who are capable of advancing science and making new discoveries and um, in, in a sense it's like those what what I'm what I'm calling like these mystics of science those represent the ideal of science and it's a good ideal and um, if you're a creationist what you're attacking you like, you can't actually attack science there's no such thing as attacking science um, but but you can attack um, you can attack the mystics in science you can attack the people who hold these things as open questions worth exploring and worth investigating um, and uh, like when when you're doing that you might you might as well be attacking like the best in Christianity yeah um, I I mean I, I have so much of a thought behind that that I don't I don't want to even try to express it all but yeah. like um, there is there is something of, of Christianity in the secular person and in the in the atheist and you know of course not all scientists not a majority of scientists are atheists um, but we still have the idea that science is something like independent of Christianity but um, but it's the pursuit of truth all right um, and it, it's in a way like it's doing something that Christianity does and so it it, it is it is good. Yeah. Um, it is it is part of the Christian truth and part of the Christian pursuit, and it, you're taking that ideal of science and you're objecting to it and and denying it and trying to kill it. This goes back to what we said last time about you're poisoning your own well by doing that. Right. You're, you're shutting yourself off to this idea of of holding questions to be open and worth exploring and worth actually understanding on a deep level, and and so then you're damned to to not understand things on a deep level um like you can you can only be in a sense you can only be shallow as a christian if you're attacking the the best form of science right um well like i i, I go a a step further than you you said like you might as well be attacking this side of christianity i say i say you are attacking that side of christianity because like those same people will object to what we're saying right now. Mm -hmm. This idea that of open truth, um, of questioning things, um, and of and of mysticism in general. And like this has been a theme in the West for the last thousand years. Of like basically excising mysticism from the church. And attempting to say, here are the answers. All you have to do is believe them. Mm -hmm. um, so, like this idea that. So, like this is something I think a lot of people have trouble understanding when I bring up this subject of creationism. Like, I'm not actually saying I disagree with the creationist. Like, that's a very important thing to say. Like, I just disagree with. I guess you could call it their spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and like, like, I think it's an extraordinarily dangerous one because it's what you're talking about. It's this idea, like, here are the rules. Now obey. Yeah. Um, conform yourself to this. And we'll pretend that this thing that you're conforming yourself to is Christ. Right. Like, well, no, actually, it's not. Right. 
yeah, the sort of, I mean, the close-mindedness is, is, that's what Christ was fighting against. I mean, well, I, yeah. I hate to, I hate to say that just because it, 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 it uh, reduces um, his mission and his message. But I mean, you look at the, like the confrontations with the Pharisees, these are the guys who had all the answers. Um, and they were just going to insist that they were true. And, and Jesus, again, not all of his message, but a big part of his message is um, that is not the right approach. Well, so like, here's the thing that I guess troubled me a lot when I was younger, was you read the epistles in the New Testament, or you read the writings from like the first 500 years of Christianity. And like it started to it become clear to me, like there's this pattern that these people aren't saying the things that we say. Mm-hmm. Um, like if if these if this sort of construction that we've created within modern Christianity were true, like they wouldn't be saying things in the way they're saying it in the Bible. And the, and like it becomes clear, like especially as you read the church fathers, like these people are speaking in a different language. Yeah. Like literally, they're speaking a different language, but I'm also like figuratively. Mm-hmm. They're talking. They're speaking in a different language. They're saying things. They're thinking about things. They're building their arguments and their ideas in a way that is not in agreement with the way we do things now. And they lived in an age when the faith was expanding. We think in a different way, and we live in an age when where the faith is shrinking. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe that's again also reductionist of me to say that like this this uh, shift to insisting that we have all the answers is is the reason why the why the faith why Christianity is in decline. Um, but I mean, honestly, that doesn't seem that far fetched, because like for example, what is a hypocrite? Um, a hypocrite is somebody who thinks he believes one thing, but obviously by his actions he demonstrates that he doesn't believe it. Right. Um, um, and, he, and he holds very rigidly to those things that he insists that he believes, and so rigidly that he uses those to attack other people. Yeah, right. And and that's, I mentioned what is a hypocrite, because that's, um, that's you know, the number one complaint against Christians. What's wrong with Christianity? What's wrong with, with the church? Is It's full of hypocrites. It's, well, full it, of, it, it's full of people that have the problem that we're describing. It's also Jesus' number one complaint against literally anybody. Right. It's like, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Right. Yeah, and, and, and again, I, I think that's really that's really just another angle of looking at this idea of clutching on to what you hold to be true. Yeah. I think hypocrisy is is a, like um, is part of the same picture. But yeah, like I want to keep getting back like just because I feel like I'm not like we're trying to explore this subject as much as describe it. Mm-hmm. But like keep getting back to the center idea like look at the way that I interact with the world. Look at the things that I do and the way I respond, and then ask myself, like, observe those things as if it were somebody else doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, build, and then start to build this picture of, like, actually, who am I, and what are my real values and beliefs? Um, is this the sort of, is this the sort of way somebody who believes, who believes these things would actually act? And then, like, also comes with that, like, well. What is the way a Christian would act? What is the way a Christian would respond to these things? And it's not like... It's not something that you present as... 
put on like this uh, this act, this Christ act, like you're acting like Christ, but it's like no, like figure out what's at the core. I'm not I'm not putting that idea together quite how I want to yeah um, well I mean it, it's still it's just part of the same process of like let let this stuff fall down right because that's that's uh, the, the journey of self-understanding like when you see what you're all about then um, then you have this like shocking revelation and it, and it breaks things down. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, I wanted to mention a couple of non-religious examples, and I mentioned the political thing. I'll also mention um, if somebody somebody goes into a therapist and they say, uh, well, look, uh, actually a lot of times they'll, what they'll say is, uh, I don't know why I'm here, there's nothing wrong with me. Uh, and, you know, maybe they believe that and they're wrong. Yeah. Um, other times they, they come in and they say, like, well here's the problem and if we can just fix this then everything will be okay and and the therapist who hears that um is that knows that that the client is wrong about the problem i mean i, I don't want to say that every person is wrong about their own problems but like but the therapist is going to maintain it as an open question and um you're going to like you're going to explore a person's issues and then try to find out like what is the real root of it because the real root of it is probably something that the client is unaware of so so you believe something about yourself and um and it's not true but at the same time what is true that truth that the client as i, I said the client doesn't know isn't aware of um in, in a sense the client is aware of that yeah um when when you come to this like revelation of what's the truth about yourself then part of the revelation is like well i actually i knew that all along yeah so this is like a sort of a reflection of what prayer is um so like another thing I, a therapist will do is for the most part won't say anything mm -hmm. they'll let the patient like not all therapists i'm sure there's there are therapists out there who think it's their job to figure out well, everybody's yeah, problems. Well, I mean, yeah, they're, they're human beings. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, now, when I talk about therapy, I, I worked at a therapeutic boarding school. I wasn't a counselor, but I was right. I was very close to counseling. My wife is a mental health therapist. I, like, it's, it's uh, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly close to that world. Yeah. So, like, here, I, I'm, I'm just going off of, by, of what Jordan Peterson says that he does in his clinical practice mm -hmm. and says that a lot of his colleagues also do is like you let the people work themselves out because if you just sit there and let them do that and just ask them the questions that they need in order to do that like it's it's remarkable how smart people are yeah right um well it's like it's the stuff that they that they know all along but they're, yeah they're not telling them and it's, it's like that's also what prayer is it's like you're taking to you're going to god and you're praying about your your struggles and like what happens if you do that sincerely is God starts to show you it's like, well, here's what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. Like, here's what you're hiding from. Here's what you're not admitting to yourself. Now, one other thing that we made a real brief mention of in the well, the, before you oh, get that, sure, like, sure. yeah, I want to tie that into like okay, also yeah, what you're it. what you're saying is like, 
the important part of that process of prayer in that sense is that like you have to let God ask you the questions. And that's generally what, when we don't believe the things that we think we believe, that's what we're not doing is letting God ask us the questions. Mm-hmm. It's like we're doing everything we can to avoid those questions because deep down inside we know what's actually behind it. Yeah. Um, prayer is... Uh, I, I, don't, I feel like I don't want to comment too much on it because just because I feel like um, this is something I'm... Um, I'm like, I'm ready to go through this kind of process in regards to prayer. Um, that I think um, there's something that I've been missing, and I'm trying to get uh, get at what that is. Um, so like I say, I'll, I'll kind of withhold comments on that. But um, what I was going to say was to go back to something else that we mentioned in our, our first episode, which was um, confessions of faith. Yeah. And... There you've got a list of doctrines, and you you are required. Most most church people are not going to use the word required, but that's basically the idea. If you are part of this church, you're required to believe these things. And I say most churches won't do these things, but um, but there are organizations that will do those things. There are uh, employers, you know, like private Christian organizations, that will say if you if you want to work here, these are the things that you need to believe. And if you don't believe these things, then you shouldn't work here. You should go somewhere else, yeah. which in a sense is fair. But if somebody looks at that list, you know, you might, I mean, I look through lists like that and, and I think, I think, well, I could sign up for this. I could, I could agree with this stuff. I don't know for sure, but for sake of argument, I'm willing to say yes, but saying it's true and, you know, for sake of argument and believing that it's true are not the same thing. So if you're going to sign a, a confession of faith in order to get a job, then you're, you're, you're saying this I believe to a bunch of things that um, you, don't, you don't even know what they mean. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, I mean, you can read through that and you can say like, well, this is... This is true if I look at it from this perspective, then I would say yes. If I look at it from this perspective, then all of a sudden I'm not sure if I agree with you or not. Um, I'm, I, uh, I applied for a job uh, one time. I, I went and uh, interviewed for a job at a summer camp when I was in grad school. It was just uh, um, working for the summer at this Christian camp, and the camp director was a high school friend of mine. And it's like something I was very excited about. And, uh, and he said, well, we need to go through the normal application process too. I guess I hadn't actually submitted an application when I talked to him. Um, but part of the application was, was uh, signing this confession of faith. And I, I mean, confession of faith have always like made me feel like a little bit uncomfortable uh, for the reasons I'm describing. It's like, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, um, being forced into a certain belief system. Um, and, and again, it's not necessarily that it's something that I, I, I can voice disagreements to, but there's still this feeling of like, why am I being forced into this? Right. Um, and when it came to like signing it for this job application, like it was just, it was just uncomfortable enough for me that I said like, I don't even want to do this. 
Um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to insist that I believe something when um, I haven't really worked through it. I mean, like the things on there are actually like really. Um, they're like deep theological questions. You got to wrestle with these things before you can come up with an answer. And I probably had wrestled with them more than most people that that have taken the job down through the years. Yeah. But um, but you know, not enough where I can just like skim the list and then say, "Yep, I agree with that. Let's move on to the next page of the application." You had a another topic you wanted to introduce. Um, yeah, but I can't remember. What okay, it was. all right, fine. We'll we'll just blast on ahead then. Um, I I also wanted to add a lot of these, uh, a lot of the points that we're making. Um, I think you can also describe them as being right brain versus left brain issues. Um, and another way of saying that same thing is they're they're rational theological on the left brain side and they're uh, mystical and intuitive on the right brain side. And um, of course we, we, we have this sort of favoritism that we show toward the mystical tradition. The Anabaptist tradition actually is a very mystical tradition. There's, there's, essentially there's no, there's no such thing as Anabaptist theology. I mean, that's almost true. Um, well, I, I took a class in college, and, and I, I saw this kid come up and complain to the professor about the textbook which the professor had written, and it was, uh, it was like Christian history, um, and he said, there's nothing in here about Anabaptism. How can you, how can you leave out Anabaptist theology? And I'm thinking, man, you got a, <laughs> you, you got a tough position to fight for, because what, what Anabaptist theology? What is there? Yeah, which is not a criticism of Anabaptism. No, it's that is that's not the emphasis. It's not about this. Um, it's not about this left brain uh, approach. It's not yeah. about. It's not about wrapping your your rational mind around God and the right. infinite and the divine. So like, it puzzles me. <laughs> this is just kind of an anecdote. Uh, it puzzles me whenever somebody makes a comment about like how logical and rational I am. It's like. I'm the least logical and rational person I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like, there's a sense, not necessarily saying that you should detest logic and reason, but there's like a degree to which I do. Because mm -hmm. like, realizing th through the experience of life, like the insufficiency of reason. Yeah. Well, um, the... The right brain or the mystical side is about um, meaning yeah. and uh, communion, actually. I mean, like oneness, the sense of oneness, um, the sense that, that things have meaning to right. them, that life has meaning. Um, that, that doesn't come from reason. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to reason. I don't have like some kind of a disgust for it, but, um, but it, it is not... Um, I, I, I guess it, it's, it's not the Lord of your life. <laughs> um, it's, it's something like when you, when you clutch, and again, even, even with clutching, I have this idea of left brain in mind. Uh, the, the, the right hand clutching, um, is, is the work of the left brain. It's the work of the rational mind. And it's, uh, it's, it's. I mean, it's stifling to the souls of people. Well, so, like, it's fascinating, like, going back to, to Anabaptism, 
like there's there's a huge historical problem in trying to trace the roots of Anabaptism, mm-hmm. and nobody can agree. And yeah. there's been this there's been this ongoing debate for 500 years as like where do these where do these people come from? And like it occurred to me a long time ago, like the, the problem is you're looking at the wrong thing here. Like you're you're looking like where does the institution of Anabaptism come from, mm-hmm. and where do the doctrines of Anabaptism come from? And it's like I look at that. It's like neither of those things are what Anabaptism yeah, is. Yeah, are what it is. It touches the character of Anabaptism. Mm-hmm. It's not a collection of doctrines and beliefs, and it's not an institution. It never has been, and never was, never yeah. will be. Well, um, I mean. It, in as much as it is, it, it like it ceases to become itself, right? So like, um, as... and, and becomes a you know a, a generic Protestant church, yeah. Without a mystical, uh, I mean, with without all the things that make Anabaptism valuable, essentially. Yeah. Um, but it's like Anabaptism, you could say, is a spirit. Um, and like, I I am a fan of describing like our tradition as the last vestige of medieval Christianity left in the West. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I even mentioned that in, in, in the last podcast. In the last yeah, episode. I think so. And, and there's, there's a, like, there's a sense in which it's not true because, um, because certainly Anabaptism, including the Swiss Anabaptism of the Bernese Overland, um, has been shaped by the Reformation. Yeah, but like so has Catholicism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, has even the Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm, right. Um, like you, you, you can't find basically anything in Christianity that that isn't. Like even the most isolated pops. Yeah. Are still somehow touched by it. Right. Right. But there's there's still this sense in which there's a, a kind of. Um, ancient mindset yeah, right. that carries through. I mean, I, I sort of wanted to say medieval mindset, which that was the, the age that you were referring to, but I mean, even even what it has of of a medieval mindset, you might as well just call it an ancient mindset. Yeah, and like the reason I bring this up, like again, isn't to like to be this Anabaptist apologist, but it's really like pointing fingers at my fellow Anabaptists, just like, look, here's where the heart of our tradition lies, and let's forget about this process that we've been undergoing in more recent history of putting on this outward layer of belief and like let's get back at the heart of what we are as a people and as a belief system well and and that's it's not just pointing a finger at anabaptism because that's um you you were saying the same thing about you look at writings of church fathers yeah and and you say this isn't what christians believe today like uh the very um we well, yeah, are like the heart, part the of... heart of christianity now and and i i i want to be hesitant about saying something like this too because i'm going to make this kind of blanket statement that sounds like an accusation against against you know all protestants and whatever um but but uh and and uh, there, there are real good reasons to have a Protestant Reformation. Yeah. Um, I guess that's the, that's the caveat or the uh, qualifier that I want to give before saying this. Um, but, but the Christian faith was damaged in the Protestant Reformation. Uh-huh. And, and the way that I frame it is specifically it, it became this kind of left-brain rational religion. Um, and 
and it, it's basically like it's, no, it's, it's been easy. in trouble ever since. I mean, it's been fracturing ever since, yeah. which is what what rational people are going to do. See, they're I, going I to would find, they're going to find rational arguments against one another, and they're going to hate one another, and and that's what that clutching uh, left brain is going to do is it's going to yeah. destroy the things that it hates. So I would I would actually put it together the other way that the reason the Protestant Reformation happened is because of Western Christianity or institutional rest Christianity, I should say. That's an important mm -hmm. qualifier. Yeah, had yeah. become this left brain thing. Right. This, like this thing insisting yes, on... Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's true. On uh, definition. Yeah, and, and so that's fair. I mean, that also is like, like I said, I it's not exactly that I want to accuse the reformers of... <laughs> Of, of like something in particular I mean there are there are a lot of ways that like the the reformers that I would criticize are are better men than me yeah in a lot of ways but so like that's another thing that I'm fond of saying is that uh, the Reformation and by extension humanism are the logical outcomes of like this the the, the process in late medieval institutional Catholicism and like I, I bring that idea of institutional Catholicism out to make an important point that medieval Christianity and the institutions of Rome are not the same thing. In fact, they're, they're almost always actually in opposition to each other. So like if you actually get down and study the medieval church, what you find is nobody actually is going along with what the important sinners of theology are saying. Mm -hmm. Like it's this is something that Rome is acutely aware of, and admits. Yeah. Well, and um, and in particular, if you're uh, like the more remote you are, the less influence the mm -hmm. the institutions of the church have on you. The less in influence the empire has on you. Um, the empire rules in the plains, and uh, if you're up in the mountains, nobody nobody paves roads for you. You don't get any of the benefits of being in the empire. Um, not even really military protection. You sort of do, but nobody was going to invade the mountain anyways. Yeah, so it's also so, true. So you don't, you don't get any benefits of being in, in an empire, but you also don't pay any of the price of it. Nobody comes up to collect taxes. Like, if, you, if you're in a remote region, you are not part of the empire. So it's also true, basically true, and it's kind of an oversimplification, but it's basically true that in the Reformation, the, uh, the imperial cities on the plains are the centers of... Protestantism and Reformation, mm -hmm. whereas the mountains remain Catholic. Yeah. So like that's that's like literally true in Switzerland, where like the centers of the Reformation are Bern and Zurich, which are the cities of the Swiss Plateau, which is just this flat plain where all the wealth and power of the country lies. Mm -hmm. And up in the mountains, they don't go along with the Reformation. Yeah. In fact, like. Even like in the territory of Bern, which is Protestant now, like they actually have a civil war erupt in in an attempt to stop the Reformation. Because mm -hmm. like we have no interest in your, uh, we have no interest in what you guys out there are doing. Like we have our Christianity, and we just want to be left alone. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting. Like it's kind of worth pointing out for the, top, for the purpose it of this conversation. Um, the Swiss Catholic Church has its own counter-reformation and does not participate in the Council of Trent in the 1540s. Um, mm, yeah. So it's like Swiss Catholicism to this day is something distinct it's, and unique. 
Okay, I'm not really familiar with that, but it's like, yeah, still a, a kind of remote. Yeah, like, um, no, like that's basically, that's a good way to describe it. Like it's often compared to Latin American Catholicism and it's sort of spiritualism. Mm -hmm. I um, mean, it's, it's also true, like, this is an uncomfortable fact to point out to Protestants in America, that the Protestant countries and the Protestant regions in Europe are today the secular and atheist parts of Europe. And the religious parts, with the exception of France, like the, are, are, are the Catholic parts. Yeah. Well, um, I think we probably want to get around to wrapping things up here i mean if you if you got any more of the history that you want to tie in then go for it but uh, yeah i mean and okay. i just i just wanted to tie that in, into like this idea that you already kind of brought out which is something I, something i was wanting to get at that's the thing i couldn't remember that i wanted to get at is this idea that when you don't actually believe the things that you put on like you you put on this system you put on these externals and then you fight for them Mm -hmm. And you fight against anything that that opposes them. It's like the only, the only outcome of this is division. Right. Like this is exactly what you see in the church, in the West especially. It's like nobody believes any of these things. We put on these outward, these external, and I would say like these materialistic belief patterns. Mm -hmm. And we're all like in a in like a, this constant state of crisis of identity and belief, and. The only possible outcome of that is, is warfare. Right. Yeah, which which thing the the Mennonites are not known for. <laughs> um. Yeah, but at the same time, we are known for uh, our own sort of warfare against ourselves. Yeah, right. And um, like that's but that's something that comes out of that uh, that putting on of a more systematic belief system that nobody actually believes and nobody actually understands. And so we start just start fighting over things that don't make sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's interesting that you can um, you can insist on these rational beliefs that nobody understands and nobody believes, and then you can fight over them, um, or you can um, instead of rational belief, if you if you favor um, the symbols of the church. Um, you you favor like I say symbols again with this idea of mysticism in mind, um, then like you you have nothing to fight over. Yeah, I mean I I, I even I have this idea of, of Joseph Campbell's in mind. He talks about the religious leaders of of the world religions when they gather together, the um, the priests, the theologians, all all disagree with one another and the monks find a kind of concord right. with one another. Uh, I mean, there's there's a unity that is possible in mysticism that um, that reason does not allow for. Um, I think, like, maybe this would be a good thing to close with if you, if you have something more to say, that's fine, we'll keep going. But, um, so, like, there's this problem that we face as conservative Anabaptists and this question that we continually are asking ourselves we look back at the past, at our ancestors, and like people flocked to them, and people joined us, and like so many of like the traditional Amish and Mennonite families today, are relatively late comers to the Anabaptist tradition in the broader scope of history. 
And so like we look at this today and like we had this church of martyrs and this evangelistic church that like people wanted to be a part of mm -hmm. and were willing to like were willing to suffer to join us. And now like we're in this position today where nobody wants to join us. And whenever people think they do and they come to us, they always get disillusioned and leave. So like what's going on? What's the problem? So like and maybe that's a, that's a challenge. Maybe the problem is people from the outside come and they spend time with us and they come to the realization that we don't actually believe anything. Yeah. Well then, um, again, I, I like to close with the application. I mean, what does a listener do with mm -hmm. with uh, today's journey? Well, like I would say, I guess my answer to that would be, uh, like, forget about what your neighbor is doing and examine yourself and ask those questions that we've raised like how do i interact with the world and what does that actually say about me as a person and about what i believe and what's at the center of my worldview it's like and start approaching these things as questions that you need to be asked like like i brought out that idea of prayer being allowing god to raise the difficult questions and allowing doubt to have its work it's like, well, that's kind of what you need to do, but like with the recognition that it's a dangerous thing and that Christ needs to be at the center of it, mm -hmm. which might sound like kind of a nonsensical statement to uh, the non-Christian. And also, like, I worry saying that to the Christian is just wrapped up in this sort of meaningless language of modern Christianity. It's like, oh yeah, of course Christ is the sinner. Okay, what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. um, and like that's like a kind of a center of what we're doing is taking those things and like, okay, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Um, so it's like ask yourself those difficult questions, but with caution, being rooted and standing on something firm. And that's this idea of the truth that unifies. Right. I would say clutching leads to division. It leads to hypocrisy, which drives people away. Right. Um, it's it's antithetical to humility. And I mentioned the, the opposition of hypocrisy being a big part of Christ's message, but uh, like the embrace of humility is, um, is, that's the other side of that of that statement like what is what is the absence of hypocrisy what's well, humility and and humility um means accepting that you might not be right about everything yeah we're uh i mentioned once before we're out walking um we've been in the woods and we're kind of out in the clearing now and got a few stars overhead and i wish i could quote the psalm in full but i'm sure i'm gonna have to skip part of it um, as I gaze in the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. Um, and as I said, I can't, I can't quote the whole thing, but, um, what is man that you are mindful of him? It's like this statement of, um, of humility and wonder and awe and those are the building blocks of the Christian faith.
Thank you for listening and engaging. The best and pretty much the only ways to support this podcast are to subscribe and think of a friend who might enjoy this conversation and share it. Please join us again for another walk in the woods, another conversation, and another journey in a sacred life.